I'm not working, so I'm free. Really? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to really lean into that first question there. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Golly, a whole lot of people right now are kind of asking themselves that question. Is it possible? And a lot of them are deciding, no, it's not possible to love your work. Well, I beg to differ. We're going to talk about that. Hey, if you're new here, welcome into the 48 Days Podcast. 48 Days is the length of time that I think is reasonable to assess where you are. Get the advice and opinion of other people who are brilliant. Select three or four options. Do a little bit of research. Choose the best one and act. So it's a process we've been using for years. 48 days, you can change your life dramatically if you create a plan and act on it. Now's a great time right here at the end of the year. Start that countdown now. Don't wait till the beginning of the year. Start now. You can walk into a new season beginning in January rather than waiting till then. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, can we balance work we love and work we don't love? How can I sell my art to make a living? How long should I stick with an idea before moving on? I'm an airline pilot making great money, but gone from my family 20 days a month. How can I coach when I don't have an office? All right, we're going to plow into those. Got some things I want to share about the anti-work movement that I promised for today. Our quotation is actually from me today. If you're exhausted from working too much, it may be because you're not working enough in the areas that make your heart sing. All right, we'll circle back around to that at the end of the show today. And a resource today, I want you to check out uh, just a, a small event that Joanne and I are doing here at our house in January, January 13th and 14th. Go to 48days.com slash lovin' and just check it out. Now, this is going to be a small event. We have now approved three couples to join us here. We have maximum capacity for three more, three more couples. So it's this is not something that we're just promoting out there big time and want lots of people to show up. No, it's going to be very small. We're going to walk through the idea of how you maintain your relationship, thrive in your business, make money, have a lot of fun. This is not, you know, for, you know, marriages in trouble. No, it, 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 we're just looking at how can you have a life that you really thoroughly enjoy. If you're doing things together, or if you just are complimenting each other and what you're doing, just check it out. See if it's something that fits you. I'd love to review information from you. If it's something that would fit, that gets your year started off with a bang, have a lot of fun. And believe me, this is not going to be hardship, drudgery in the way that we talk about things. We're going to have a lot of fun hanging out here at our house. We'll play some cornhole and Swim in the pool if you want to and do those kind of things. But check it out, 48days.com slash lovin'. Now, good news. got lots of good news. Things. There's one piece I picked up from the, the press that has a young kid in Sierra Leone. Now, Sierra Leone, if you don't know, is a, it's on the very, let's see, the very western side of Africa, one of the countries there. Very, very poor, overwhelming levels of poverty. 
uh, that come from government corruption. corruption. Uh, they don't have an established education system. There really aren't civil rights. There's a very poor infrastructure. Anyway, the average lifespan there is only 56 years. I mean, that's really low because it's such a such a challenging country. But as always in challenging situations, people come up with new creative solutions. So there's a young kid, Jeremiah. He invented a machine that delivers electricity by absorbing kinetic energy from vehicles that are driving on the roadways. Now, so he's, he's not using batteries, wind, sun, water, all the usual sources of energy. No. I mean, when you think about it, when cars go on a road, certainly they create pressure. There's kinetic energy there. He has figured out a way to translate that into electric power. And now he's powering 150 homes there near where he lives. Now, as a result of that, his invention was entered in a contest and he just won a hundred thousand dollars. It was awarded to him by Hugh Jackman. He presented the award, just complimented him on how he's made an enormous difference in the community and far beyond. And so uh, just a cool idea, just one of those things. Again, sometimes those inventions are right under our noses and somebody just comes up with a way to do something that uh, seems obvious, but nobody's ever done it before. I love those stories. Congratulations to young Jeremiah for coming up with that idea and for winning $100,000. Now, some notes here, just notes that I got personally. Angoria says, just a comment, I listened to the podcast yesterday, very much related to Dan's story of massive amounts of debt. I was in the same situation, $400,000 of debt. On January 1st, 2019, it was weighing my whole family down, so I put my focus on eliminating all my debt by using my skills and talents, utilized the 48 days to the work you have process, applied this process to my situation, created a business. On 12-15-2020, we became completely debt-free. My husband, kids, and I thank you for your inspiration. Now, we've had a lot of stories on here recently. I mean, talked about Jen McDonough, who worked her way out of $212,000 worth of debt and now is a, a very well-paid speaker and is doing that around the country. Had her story on, had her on as a Monday mentor in our Eagles community a couple of weeks ago telling her story. But I love these stories about people who just got busy and did something. Goya doesn't share here. I'm not sure what kind of business she started. That's a, that's a pretty massive turnaround to in, let's see, one, one, two, actually two years. So it'd be almost a two-year period, but to erase $400,000 of debt took me longer than that, frankly. This comes from Joellen, who says, just wanted to say thanks. I came to one of your right to the bank classes a few years ago. At the time, I was totally confused about work because all I wanted to do was help dogs at one of the class breaks, you made me realize that I also needed to look at what type of work can make money and encourage me to write a book about dogs as a way to make profit. Guess what? I was able to leave my nine to five job this year because I've written several dog mystery books. The best part is that the time flexibility that I now have allows me to volunteer at the animal sanctuary nearby walking dogs. Just wanted to thank you for all the advice you give and the advice and the kindness you showed me when I was at my wits end. Well, congratulations, Joellen. I love what you've done. Congratulations on taking action and following your passion, following your curiosity and the passion, just the process that we talk about so much here writing those dog mystery books that have allowed you to quit your job. That's a, that's a big, it's a big switch, big transition. 
I commend you on taking that action. How about this one? I love this. Hello, Dan. Uh, this comes from Norm. I love to share a small win. I'm an HVAC subcontractor, so heating, heating, air conditioning. Here's where I control my time and money and money I want to make. Here's how he does that. He says, I get to keep the old equipment. So old air conditioners are taken out and whatever. Sometimes I pay $15 or $25 for them. And then I sell them for like $250 each or sell it for parts to be used. Or he said, if nothing else, I take it and get it recycled and get paid. The good thing is if I get good used equipment, I get to install it and make a whole lot more than what I paid for it. Well, you know, I did that. I had a guy do that with our sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. It was the, it was the barn we converted into an event space, guest quarters, my office. And I called a friend who was in the heating and air conditioning business. I said, you know, it's just a barn. We just want to make it usable to use it now and then. He says, you know what? He said, I'm putting a brand new system in a house in Brentwood, in Brentwood, Tennessee. He says they have an upstairs and downstairs unit. He says one is out and the other one's perfectly fine, but they want to replace them so they have two brand new ones at the same time. He says, how would you like to have that old unit? I said, man, that's perfect. That's exactly what we did. Used it for years and years and years because it was it was taken out of another place and he just put it in, charged me for the installation, but nothing for the unit itself. This comes from Jim. He says, Dan, I read your 48 Days to the Work You Love book. Wish I had this book in my 20s. It's an amazing diagnostic on your passion and calling. I'm in my early 50s. And secondly, I've now told my kids it's a must read to help them find their path. Just a thank you for sharing your insights with us. I look forward to learning more from your website and writings. Okay, now I'm gonna, I want to talk about this anti-work movement that's growing in popularity. I talked a couple months ago about the fact that in April, 4.3 million people left their jobs. Now, that was just unheard of. 4.3 million people in one month quit their jobs. Now, this is nuts. And as we hopefully are winding down the pandemic, you know, we hope to see kind of some stabilization in the workplace. Guess what? In October, there were 4.4 million people who quit their jobs. In October, I don't have the, the figures for November yet, because we're just barely ending that as I'm recording this. But in October, 4.4 million people quit their jobs. Now, the irony is there's 10.7 million jobs open right now. Now, here's here's the other thing that seems to be hard to get our head around. There, There's the anticipated unemployment rate at the end of next year. 2022, as predicted by Goldman Sachs, will be 3.5%. Now, if that estimation is correct, it means it will match a 50-year low in unemployment to get that low. Now, how does this make sense? Where we have 4.4 million people quit their jobs, we have 10.7 million jobs open right now, and unemployment is coming down, not up. There's just a whole lot of things that statistics aren't explaining adequately. Now, the anti-work movement, I mean, what is this crazy thing? I mean, how can we have a, a term like that? This is a movement that really is growing. I mean, this is a movement that online, there's a Reddit group, anti-work, that now has over a million people who are part of it. It's growing as people, now especially Gen Zers, embrace a work-free lifestyle. 
It's about workers pushing back against exploitation and rethinking possibilities. Now, there's a whole lot being written on this, and I'm not going to unpack it totally, but just give you some of the highlights here. The anti-work movement. There's an article recently in the Business Insider just a couple of days ago, and it talked about Larry, who's 52 years old. He doesn't work. By the time the pandemic hit, he says he was ready for a change. He left his job as a maintenance technician uh, to be with his ex-wife and children in Colorado. But then he got laid off with, from a seasonal job there. He moved back to South Carolina to be with his mother. Now he lives simply in a 20-foot trailer in her backyard. And here he says, this is a quote, I don't really want to work anymore. Larry says, he added, I don't want to have any meetings, no deadlines, no goals, no quarters, no seminar. I don't want none of that stuff no more. He says, I really don't have any expenses. I don't need money. I can survive without money. Really? You can survive without money. Okay. He said, for now, it seems Larry has found some liberation. He says, when you go to this stage in your life where you're not working anymore and you really don't care about some things, it's freedom. It really is freedom. Well, let's kind of back into that a little bit. The anti-work movement, as I said, is now has over a million followers. It's growing. Uh, half of those million joined just in October. I mean, just last month. They joined over half a million people joined the anti-work movement. I mean, tens of thousands of people are visiting the group every day. And again, they're embracing this work-free lifestyle, finding community and pushing back against, you know, working conditions that seem to be too hard. You know, people are saying it's not right that somebody should have to, to work just to meet their basic needs. We ought to have, you know, free basic income, free basic transportation. Really? I mean, how do these things happen? How do these free things show up unless a whole lot of people are working to provide the income to support those things? I mean, this ridiculous thinking that somehow these things just magically appear. You know, how, how does the government provide what they are providing, that being questionable at best, all the things they're providing in terms of stimulus checks and guaranteed income? I mean, how do they get that money? Government doesn't create money. All they do is take it from people who are making money. Well, remember, this was years ago. Some of you are probably too young to remember. Well, I'm you, you know, Janis Joplin. What was her most famous song? Me and Bobby McGee. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. I mean, that, uh, golly, I mean, I, I can hear her singing that. Now, that was released in January of 1971, January 12th, 1971. But the song was, you know, the, the chorus in there is, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing. It ain't nothing, honey, if it ain't free. And feeling good is easy, Lord, when he sang the blues, you know, feeling good is good enough for me, good enough for me and my Bobby McGee. But it's, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. If you don't have anything, yeah, I guess you're free. Now, Janis Joplin did not write that song. Chris Christofferson wrote the song, and he described it. He said, it definitely expresses the double-edged sword that freedom is. You may be free, but it can be painful to be that free. But maybe at the very end, when you leave, you will be free when you've nothing else to lose, you know, when you're gone. I mean, so it means 
when you have nothing, when you own nothing, you have no possessions but freedom, you're essentially broke. I guess that's some kind of freedom. Now, what about this being free? Janis Joplin sang this song, her most famous song. It was released in January of 1971. It hit the top of the Billboard Hot 100 in March 20th of 1971. Now, here's an irony that you may not be remember. So it hit the top of the charts, March 20th, 1971. On October 4th of 1970, Janis Joplin died. She was 27 years old, failed to show up for a scheduled recording session, died of an overdose. She died before that very memorable song was ever released. And it talks about what freedom is. Well, I guess she gained the ultimate freedom in checking out of this world. But this is a deal. I mean, it boggles my mind. How free are you if you can't buy food for your children? You know, gee, Christmas is coming. What are you going to do for that ex-wife and children if if you have no money? I mean, how are you free if you can't give $10 to the homeless guy standing on the side of the road? How are you free if at 52 years old, you have to live in your mommy's backyard? I just, it just blows my mind. You know, in, in the first chapter of 48 Days to the Work, you'll have the new version, 20th anniversary edition. The first chapter is titled, Do I Have to Work? And I talk about Leo Tolstoy, who was struggling in his search for godliness. And he looked at the lives of his privileged class that he came from and the lives of the plain folks who were their laborers. He determined that whatever their hardships, the working people rested at night in peace and confidence in God's goodness, while those in royalty who lived in leisure frequently complained and were unhappy about their lives. So he renounced his wealthy class and set out to work in the fields alongside the workers, the peasants. He proclaimed that the greatest heir of the leisure class was the erroneous belief that happiness consists in idleness. In his, one of his books, A Talk Among Leisured People, he asserted that we must return to the recognition that work and not idleness is the indispensable condition of happiness for every human being. So if we look at that thing, you know, is, is work just something we, we have to do while play is something we get to do? I mean, we hear the phrases, you know, thank God it's Friday. It reinforces that idea that at last we can escape the evil of work and do something we truly enjoy for a couple of days. And then, oh no, it's Monday. You know, clearly reinforces the message from, you remember another old song, Mamas and the Papas. You know, Monday, Monday, we can't trust that day. I mean, our anticipation of retirement implies that finally we can quit this thing called work, spend our time doing only what we enjoy. But that raises a question. I mean, what would you call your daily activity if you actually enjoy it? Would you cease to call it work? I mean, if the only goal of our working is to accumulate enough money to quit working, then it confirms that picture that work is just a bitter pill, you know, until the moment we can escape it. But as you move into work of your choosing, your design, something that engages your passion, your talent, work that integrates those things, you'll experience a joy that is not commonly associated with the word work. What if you were allowed to do what you want to do? What you most enjoyed every day, would you still want to retire? Well, I think not. You know, just this week, Matthew McConaughey, 
announced that he would not be running for governor of Texas. Now, he's been studying that. He's got a little video. It's easy to find. Just check it. It's only three minutes long. But he really covered some important things in there. He says, he asked himself, how can I be most useful in this life going forward? How can I be most useful to myself, my family, and the most people around me? And he talked about what politics does and what politics does not. You know, can we give each other more reason to trust each other? Do we have the courage to help each other rather than hurt? So after two years of studying this to see how he could be most useful in this life, he's decided not to go into politics. And here's what he says. He says, I'm going to continue to support entrepreneurs and businesses and foundations that I believe are creating pathways for people to succeed in life. Organizations that have a mission, check this out, organizations that have a mission to serve and build trust while also generating prosperity. That's the American dream. That's the American dream. I mean, isn't it? To serve, build trust, and generate prosperity. That's the American dream. Man, it's not sitting back on our duffs in the backyard of our mommies, you know, doing nothing. Well, that's my rant on the anti-work movement. Well, speaking of which, you know, I want to play a, a quick clip here. Dow asked a question that kind of relates to this and is a good question for us to move into the questions here. Check this out. Hey, Dan, uh, this is Dow Tippett. This is my question for you. As we talk about those who don't want to work, what do you think about the 70-30 principle? The idea that 70% of your time you should be creating, inventing, uh, working out of what is your nature, what God has made you do, that natural creative process that God has put in all of us. But 30% of the time, you're going to have to do stuff that's not in your nature. Otherwise, you're just a selfish human being. Uh, sometimes you have to step outside of yourself to produce in this world or to take care of others, and that's good. So instead of looking to be 100% all the time in my natural bent, I spend about 70% of my time there and 30% uh, just doing what needs done for others. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Dow, man, I appreciate your question. I think you are right on. I love that. I love that balance. You know, I talk about doing work you love. Well, I've been working on this concept for a long time, helping other people, refining my own process, the things I do. I mean, I love the work that I do, but is it 100% things that I love? No, I think you've nailed it. 70% things that you really enjoy. I think it's a great goal. And 30%? Wow, I got a note this morning from my accountant. She has a bunch of questions about last week's or last month's financial figures that I have to go back and research. What was that for? Where did that go? Who was that sent to? I detest that stuff. Who can do it? Only I, because a lot, it, a lot of it is in my head. I have to do that. So spending time doing that is not something that I enjoy. But I do that to allow me the 70% of the time where I do get to do things that I really enjoy. I think it's a great model. I mean, I don't want to ever imply that it's all just peaches and cream. You know, just it's just a thrill every moment of every day. Yeah, there are things that we all do. I don't know of anybody who has more of a balance in that. That 70-30, I think, is right on a desirable, a desirable balance. Uh, this week I saw on social media, somebody commented on, 
on No More Dreaded Mondays, one of my earlier books. And it says, does anyone wake up anxious on Mondays? And somebody said, when I had a toxic job, I woke up nervous to go. Now with no job, I wake up nervous on Monday with no job to go to. Well, thankfully, we know there's a third option. It's not having no job or having a toxic job. No, I mean, I know a lot of people are looking at the jobs available and saying, I don't want to do that. I understand that. I mean, but companies are having to figure out that it's not just a matter of paying somebody 50 cents an hour more. I mean, we have to go back to that. People want a sense of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. We talk about that a lot here. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You give people that, they'll stay engaged. I just had somebody pose a question in one of our closed groups about finding virtual assistants. And somebody says, well, I can't keep any virtual assistant beyond beyond 90 days. They work for about three months and then they're gone. Golly, we've got virtual assistants that have been with us for eight, nine years. If you give them a sense of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, believe me, they'll stick around. And it's not just a matter of, gee, that again, that paying a dollar more here, a dollar more. No, they want a sense that what they're doing has some kind of a purpose. And I think you can do that at any level of job, any kind of job. You know, I see that people come through my neighborhood here, if they're cutting grass, trimming trees, washing windows, paving the roads, you know, whatever they're, I mean, picking up the trash. I mean, all those people have to have a sense of purpose in what they're doing. And I don't think that's unreasonable. It's not just some lofty goal to think that a job is going to have purpose. It can be found in pretty ordinary kind of things. Well, Dave says, Dan, I've set my goals for the new year. I'm a pastor and I really love it, but I also want to continue to populate my creative ministry blog in my Red Bubble store, which you guided me to before. My big goal this year is I want to finish my doctorate in creative ministry. Boy, that's a, that's a cool goal, a doctorate in creative ministry. I didn't know there was such a thing. I'll have to research that. My approved project for the doctorate is to create a video-based course and the related textbook on creative ministry. My hope is to use the course beyond just getting the doctorate, marketing it to churches and artists. I work very hard at content creation, and I think I'm creating some really nice things, both in the art and the blogging, but they don't generate very much traffic. How can I increase traffic to my work so I can build an audience for this course? I have a lot of things I want to create, both in ministry and in the field of creativity and the arts, that I would love to make a nice side hustle. Thanks, Dave. Now, I looked at your site, Dave. And you've got, you know, amazing, just a mind-blowing art on there where you create these cartoon figures, caricatures, and all that. But I think you could, I think you would do a lot better by finding a niche and going deep on that rather than having art that hits on musicians, athletes, fishermen, politics, Christians, science fiction fans, artists, campers. I mean, there's such a broad array of things here. It'd be hard for any of those subgroups to really find it here because it's one hundredth of all the things that you have as compared to if you had things for just fishermen, as an example, or just musicians. I mean, I have a friend who has a site. It's actually KTBF. Dot com. You can go there. He has only things. He's a beautiful, wonderful artist, as you are. So he designs things, but they're only for hot rod race car fans. 
I mean, the old rat rods. I mean, those. there's a real sense of community there. I mean, just when you think about something like Harley-Davidson riders, we have that affinity group where they gang together, you know, Corvette drivers, tennis players. I mean, there's all kinds of things where you have an affinity group. He deals just with people who are into the old rat rods. But he then has, for race car fans, jackets, T-shirts, hats, hoodies, sunglasses, stickers. I mean, and then he goes to his audience. He goes to shows where on a weekend he'll do twelve, fifteen thousand dollars worth of merchandise because he's at an event where all these people are already showing up. He just recently opened a store, a physical store, a physical location where his fans can shop and hang out. I mean, that's a cool thing as well, but he's got a whole lot going online and by going to these shows, but it's in one niche. And I think you would explode your success by going deep in one niche rather than just being an artist that touches on such a broad array of things. You know, it reminded me, uh, in looking at your site, you've got a, a quotation on there that's attributed to Queen Victoria. Beware of artists. They mix with all classes of society and are therefore most dangerous. I love that. Beware of artists. They're, they're dangerous. It actually came from a letter that was written to Queen Victoria from her uncle, who said the dealings with artists, for instance, require great prudence. They are acquainted with all classes of society and for that very reason are dangerous. They're hardly ever satisfied. And when you have too much to do with them, you are sure to have, uh, you're headed toward failure. It's written in French, but it means you're headed toward failure. Well, there you go. Those those artistic people, you got to watch those. In Rudder of the Day, I wrote about dreamers of the day. <clears throat> And in Seven Pillars of Wisdom, T.E. Lawrence says there are dreamers, but not all human beings dream equally. Some are dreamers of the night who in the dusty recesses of their mind dream and wake in the morning to find it was just vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous people because they act their dreams into reality with open eyes. Hey, I hope you continue being a dreamer, Dave, <laughs> a daydreamer. Do you act those things into reality with open eyes, act your dreams, bring them to life. Well, that's funny to see people who are, say, beware of artists, they're dangerous. Well, they are because they're going to do things that other people only dream of and sitting on the sidelines not doing. All right, now I've got a, got a question here from Tom that I want to share with you about how long to stay with something, whether it's working or not working. Dan, I had a quick question for you. I want to know, as you start something, an entrepreneurial activity, how long should we do something before we start to think about maybe this, uh, kind of analyze it if, if we were going down the right path? And the reason for this question is I recently had a couple businesses that I actually shut down um, so I could focus on something else. But I had done one of them for a number of years, and I thought, as I thought back about it, it was something I probably should have you know checked in and kind of went back and realized is this something I should be doing? So I just wonder what, what you do as you start new endeavors or start working on something. When do you realize, oh, this isn't for me. I need to, you know, maybe take a change and, and move in a different direction. Well, thanks for your question, Tom. And you're, you're right on and so timely because, as you probably know, 
When I set my goals by November 14th, that being 48 days before the new year starts, part of that process is what is the 15% that I've been doing that I'm no longer going to continue? So I ruthlessly eliminate at least 15% of what I was doing the previous year. Now, a lot of times those are things that have actually been doing well. But if I'm going to allow room for something new to come in, I can't just keep adding more and more to my plate. I mean, it's like your garage. You know, if you just keep putting stuff in there, uh, it'll fill up. You can't just continue infinitely adding things in there. Well, I think our lives are like that as well. So if I'm going to add something new, have the, have the opportunity to have something new and exciting, new adventure, I need to create room for it. So here's how I do that. Everything I start, I commit to doing it for one year. So if it's a blog, a podcast, an event we're going to do, a course we're going to promote, whatever it is, at least a year. But then everything is on the bubble. I'm going to look at it. Okay, do I want to continue this? And there's a lot of things that I've started where at the end of the year I said, no, this really didn't get the traction that I wanted. It hasn't given me the, the kind of enjoyment that I thought it would. We're not going to do it anymore. So a lot of things only make it to a year, but I do commit to a year. I don't start things and then just try it for six weeks to think about it. No, I commit to a year. A more critical checkpoint is three years. That's where a lot of these things fall in that 15% category where I don't continue it. Now, Joanne, my wife, she still calls me a three-year man. She knows I can be excited about something for three years, but it takes something really unusual for me to continue beyond that. Now, one example of that is this podcast that I do that I've been doing now for over 15 years and having been on terrestrial radio for six years prior to that, I've now been doing this kind of format for 21 years. It's because every year when it comes up, this stays at the top of the pack. I thoroughly enjoy this, consider it a privilege to unpack these questions every week, so I continue to do it. That's the only reason I do. If there were any lack of enthusiasm about it, believe me, I'd stop. I don't have any contract. I don't have any boss telling me to do this. This makes the cut. But that's how I do it. One year and then three years. And three years, even if it's something years ago I was doing a lot of workshops in companies, leadership development. It was essentially a debriefing of the disc profile where I'd have 20 people at a time take the disc profile. Then I'd go in and debrief it to show them how to maximize their leadership capabilities. Well, those were very, very profitable very profitable. I mean, companies don't bet an eye at writing those big multi-thousand dollar a day checks. And I was doing it because I was building my business. But as I started to develop the other things, working with entrepreneurs, small business people, developing systems, create ongoing residual income that weren't as dependent on my day-to-day activities, I eliminated that. Now that was, I took a deep gulp when I did that because it was a big chunk of income, but I wasn't excited about it. And I had enough momentum in some other areas that I was able to replicate that income and move on. Now, a few years ago, we quit doing live events. That wasn't a choice. We had talked about it, talked about it being emotionally draining, being a lot of work, but I wasn't prepared to do that. But then the county showed up at our sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee and said, you cannot have events on your property. It's not zoned properly. That was after 12 years of us doing there, promoting openly in the community, all there was nothing hidden. I had a business license, but they somehow decided I wasn't zoned properly. 
they forced us to quit. Now that was a forced ending of something that was very profitable and still very enjoyable. We had to look for something new. That's when we opened the doors to the 40 Days Eagles community. We've replicated a lot of the the principles of being able to get together to share resources and ideas that we all enjoy so much. And we're doing that in the Eagles community. So it forced a change and then it prompted us to start something where we were really in a good position when this COVID thing came along. Because people, because then a lot of people weren't able to have live events they had scheduled. We already were not, did not have anything scheduled and had an alternate option for that where people could join the community, which is what they were looking for. Well, change, the change is like that. It'll show up unannounced, unexpected. Sometimes we can make a pivot and end up in a better position than we were previously. Hey, just a note here to encourage you to keep sending in your success stories, testimonials, your questions that you've got here. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan. That's a new drop for us, new resource there. Uh, it was I welcomed it when my team made that change. We used to have a dedicated email address. We've changed that because that had become so clogged up with spam, frankly, but people just promoting either books or wanting guests to be on here. I mean, that's become a very popular kind of business in and of itself. So we eliminated that old email address. I won't even remind you what it is, but to ask a question, just go to 48days.com slash askdan. Now, Bill says, Dan, thanks for the work you do. Your website and podcast have inspired me to finally determine if entrepreneurship is a fit for me. Currently, I'm employed as an airline pilot and love the work. However, with three young kids at home, I find myself wanting to spend more time with them. Also, my absence from home takes a toll on my relationship with my wife. Due to financial necessity and having taken action to get out of debt, I'm completely gone from home, out of the picture, 20 plus days each month. My wife is essentially a single parent when I'm not there. I've long held the desire to be my own boss, but wondered if I possess the character traits and qualities required to be a successful entrepreneur. Could you recommend some resources that'll help me figure this out? Thanks so much and Happy New Year. Bill, well, thanks for your question. Boy, what a... Interesting position to be in. I mean, certainly advantageous in being well-paid as an airline pilot, but I certainly understand your angst about being gone 20-plus days a month when you have three young kids at home. That's tough. I think you're very wise to put as a priority your family health before even the career. Not saying, not anticipating. Here's what I want you to do. Don't anticipate that all of a sudden you're going to have to, you know, move to a smaller house, uh, get rid of the nice cars you've got, uh, take the kids out of private school, not go on vacation this year. Don't do that. Anticipate whatever your income is. And let's say that you're making, you know, $250,000 a year now. I don't know what it is, but let's just assume that's in that range. Look for ideas where you can duplicate that. That's not unreasonable at all. So, I, I already sent you, Bill, a copy of the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love, and I want you to go to chapter 11, and that chapter title is Being the Boss You Always Wanted to Have. So then go to page 203 in 48 Days to the Work You Love. I have a section titled, Do You Have What It Takes? Now there I have 18 questions that will help you know if you possess the character traits and qualities required to be a successful entrepreneur. So that's a starting point. But with that, 
you can identify some areas that perhaps you can work on if they don't line up properly. And if it comes right down to it, and you decide you're not an entrepreneur, that still doesn't mean you're stuck in the current job that you have. As an airline pilot, golly, there are opportunities to teach. You, know, you may work for a company that has just day charters where you're home every night. I mean, there's thousands of things you can look at, even if you don't decide to become an entrepreneur based on your past experience and training. All right, a couple more here. Lisa says, Dan, thanks for being one of my favorite mentors. I work with teenagers throughout a nonprofit within an area school district facilitating groups that address reducing and preventing high-risk behavior in youth and also do individual goal-setting sessions, coaching. I would like to do teen coaching on my own. I don't have an office space and I'm not able to invest in one yet and I can't do this in my home. Is it appropriate in appearance to offer coaching to teens by meeting them and their parents in a public place like the library? I've been considering video chat like Skype or Zoom or FaceTime, your thoughts. You certainly can coach without having an office in your home. Now, the coaching that I do, I mean, 99%, I mean, I haven't had somebody, well, this is a kind of a benchmark. I have not had a coaching client in our home that we live in now, and we've been here over a year and a half. So in that year and a half, I've never had a client in my home. Now, I say that we've had clients here that we've become friends with and have them over for dinner, that kind of, but actually for coaching sessions, I've never had somebody here. You can do this. What I wouldn't encourage you to do, I wouldn't encourage you to do like a public library or Starbucks or someplace like that. That's really not very professional. And it's going to, there's going to be other intrusions and all that. Check out shared working spaces. This is a really popular concept. We work, co work co-works. Um, there's, there's, I mean, just, just put in for where you live, co-working spaces near me. You're going to get a whole lot of things and you're going to see places where you can have, where you can have an office, a nicely set up office. I did this years ago up in Brentwood, Tennessee, when I was starting out, where I paid a very minimal fee. It was like $80 a month back then to have access to an office and just whenever I wanted to. So if I needed it three days a week, I would just schedule that. Then it also gave me access to a conference room where I could have small groups in there, did a lot of neat things just under that arrangement. Now the rates have changed a little since that, but it's still for $30, $40 a day, you can get an office. You can have access to an office. We could go in and do a day's worth of coaching sessions, have a professional looking appearance where you are and all that. I mean, these places often have like messages being taken and a print room where you can use a copier, a conference room where you can have a small group like you talk about. So yeah, check those out. And there are a lot of really cool places where for, you know, maybe $300 a month, you can get access to get an office as you need it and a conference room for the small groups that you want to do. So I, I would do that, but make it, make it professional as a business. And you're off and running, but certainly having a space in your home is not an obstacle at all. All right. Hey, one more here. Dan, hope all is well with you. Yesterday during a new business venture discussion, I had a question come up that I hadn't fully thought out. And it made me wonder how you may be handling this situation. I have an IT consulting company and I'm essentially a one-man show. Now this works well for the moment, but there will come a time when I plan to retire or slow down or disappear. 
I don't have a successor replacement plan in place to continue the company without me, which obviously is not the best plan. I'm curious in your case, since you essentially are 48 days and create the bulk of the content, when that inevitable day comes, what happens to 48 days? Say hello to the family for me. Well, this comes from Alan, who knows our family well. Well, great question. And this is something that I do look at, plan for, think about, believe me. Ashley, my daughter, and I just spent a day together just a couple weeks ago addressing this very thing. What is the future plans for 48 days? Now, I don't have any plans to retire or to walk away anytime soon, but I also am looking at what does Ashley want? Ashley's worked for me for 19 years now, very long time. And in that period of time, she's gotten married. She has three kids. I mean, her oldest is now 14 years old, so her life is dramatically different than when she started. And I want to make sure at any given time that she's living out her dream, not just helping dad live out his. So we have those discussions. You know, does she want to ultimately replicate, just keep everything going that we have now? Or will there come a time where she may consider other things? Do we now now here's how I've approached it. And this, if you're an entrepreneur, you can kind of identify this. I want to have a real business. That means that, well, let me just do a contrast. If you're a bookkeeper for a company and you decide to go out on your own and you are going to be a bookkeeper, so you now have 10 clients that you're doing their monthly bookkeeping for them. You don't really have a business. You may say you're in business for yourself, but what you've really done is created a job for yourself. You're self-employed but you don't really have a business. Having a business implies that money is being created even if you're not there personally. So in my case, can I walk out the door and money continues coming in? Well, six years ago, I met with some consultants and we looked at this issue and they said, my gosh, you got an amazing business, blah, 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 but it's too dependent on you personally. I said, well, I don't want that. They said, well, you've got to do some things where it's not so dependent on you. So I did. There were four books that were extremely help, helpful to me at that time that I read. Those books were Walk Away Wealthy by Mark Tepper, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, Automatic Customer, John Warlow, and Built to Sell, also by John Warlow. Now, there's another one also that has been helpful in thinking this through. It's titled, not a well-known book, it's titled Half Retire, Keep Your Business, Ditch the Stress. Um. What I did, though, was make some really intentional changes in my business so that it would stand alone even if I were not around. Now, at the very beginning, I didn't call it, you know, Dan Miller Associates or whatever. I named it 48 Days. So the name could continue even if Dan Miller was no longer connected with that. And I have positioned my business so that it has equity. It's very attractive, you know, to somebody who would want to buy it because we've got you know, ongoing things. We've got courses, seminars, um, things like the Eagles community that are, produce ongoing revenue and will continue for a long time, even if I'm not around anymore. So there is that. I think you can do that, Alan, as you look at your business, if in fact that is something that you want to do, how you want to position your business. It's certainly something worth thinking about being a solopreneur as you describe yourself. Well, Again, our quotation for the day was, if you're exhausted from working too much, it may be because you're not working enough in the areas that make your heart sing. Hey, I appreciate you being part of this 
growing community. Uh, the numbers for the podcast are up dramatically. I'm not really sure what initiated that, but if you're sharing it, reviewing it, I appreciate it. Share it, pass it on. Numbers have jumped pretty dramatically in the last couple of months. We're grateful for all of you who are listening, who are c- contributing. Keep those questions coming in. Go to 48days.com slash askdan. And check out our resource today. Check out that event we've got coming up. I'd love to spend a couple of days with you and your spouse. Go to 48days.com slash loving to check out that event we got coming up. Thanks for being part of this community where we are open, where you are a part of being a powerful force for making the world a better place by working. Yeah, we're working. We love it. And for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.